Our reading this morning comes from 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 through 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you once again didn't get a copy of the uh, green Back to the Bible book, um, we have our ushers back here. If you wouldn't mind to just raise your hand and they will be glad to deliver one of these to you, uh, to your family. You need this and an open Bible this morning for uh, what we're talking about. We covered half of this last, uh, last time and we covered the elements of authority and I believe we're going to start about page, uh, page six. If you'll go ahead and uh, prepare for that in just a moment. It is good to see you here this morning. We have uh, a number of people that have been out for a prolonged period of time and we're glad to see you back once again. Don't know if you know, but uh, Ken and Nelda Harmon, who are sitting back here to my left, to your right, tomorrow we'll be celebrating a 65th wedding anniversary. 65 years together. We are so grateful for them and so grateful for their example. As much as we honor um, achievements in this life, uh, somebody that uh, gets good grades on a report card or a sports athlete that achieves something that's phenomenal, what Ken and Nelda have done in their life and in their marriage and in their example is phenomenal, and we absolutely ought to honor that. And I hope that you'll um, give them a hug around the neck if they're willing. Are you willing? They're, they're, they both nodded, uh, either that or a fist bump, a holy fist bump, and uh, I know they'll be glad to, uh, glad to have that. We have visitors in our assembly this, mo- this morning. We're glad to have you here and hope that you find the worship service encouraging. A couple of other housekeeping things. Please uh, bear with me just for a moment. Uh, back on our evangelism table, which is back here in the uh, foyer to my left, to your right, as you, or to your left as you exit, uh, we have these cards printed up for a uh, evangelism workshop, evangelism seminar, evangelism, a Christian evidences seminar that's going to be happening at the end of April, at the beginning of May. Um, what it has is just uh, what it is on the front, and then it has the lessons and the times on the back. We have Kyle Butt that's coming to be with us from Apologetics Press, and this is a great outreach event. Please be prepared for this. If you have somebody that's interested in things like the existence of God, the reason why we have good and why we have evil, about questions like the age of the earth or dinosaurs or things like that, you don't want to miss this and you don't want to miss an opportunity to give this to one of your friends who either is questioning about the existence of God or about um, some of the things that have to do with fundamental Christian evidences. This is available. There are cards like this uh, back there on the table in the evangelism, uh, on the evangelism table. As well, if you're in the mass assembly, there on the table as you just entered uh, in, and so be sure and pick one of these up and deliver them. Once again, we're turning this into an evangelistic outreach. We don't want to just reach members of the church who have known these things for years. We want to reach people that are searching and that are uh, looking actively for the truth. Also on the evangelism table, there are two cards. One of them is a little bit bigger, one of them is a little bit smaller. One of them that's uh, smaller is for the compassion cards. If you have a friend, a family member, uh, somebody that lives close by, or somebody that you know that's hurting, that's about to have surgery, or that's going through a difficult time in their life, we want to know about that. That's a contact for us. That's an opportunity for us to share the gospel and to encourage them and to let them know about the loving group of people that meet at Graber Road. You fill one of these out and you give it to me or give it to one of the elders or one of the church secretaries, and we'll be glad to take that and uh, apply the compassion cards. As well, we have also the larger card, which is for erring brethren. 
Okay, you have a friend or a family member that's fallen away, somebody that uh, has walked away from the church. We want to try and reach out and help that person. We want to try and encourage them and win them back. And by doing that, we want to extend the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ to those people uh, by sending them cards, by calling on them, by checking on them. We don't want to let anybody go. And we want to make sure that we're, as our Christian duty, uh, holding up the word of life and encouraging other people. Those are available for you back on the uh, evangelism table. Be sure and pick one of those up, as well as a number of other resources that can help you in reaching the lost. We finished up last week in talking about um, authority. And we're talking and working through the Green Book um, about the study. Let's review just for a moment about why we're doing this, about what this study actually does for us. If you were here last week or if you followed us online, you know that this helps us to familiarize ourselves with our Bibles. Sometimes because we either use the, uh, the uh, app on our computer or we use the app on our phone, sometimes the Bible can feel kind of clunky in our hands if we're out of practice and turning to the pages. And what Back to the Bible is going to help us to do is to be able to familiarize ourselves with where these books are and how they're put together and how I can find the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament, which we'll talk about today. It helps us to fortify our faith. Hopefully, by being here or by following along online or uh, via virtual service, you were uh, encouraged to understand the transmission of God's Word. We'll revisit that here in just a moment. But our goal is to not just be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, Ephesians chapter 4 teaches us, but to be firm and and established on the rock and to uh, not be moved in our faith. It helps us to be able to fight religious error, especially. Jude 3, contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. We want to make sure that what we're doing is we're proving what's true. And we're also reproving or challenging that which we don't find to be in line with the Bible teaching. Again, it's not Church of Christ belief that we're interested in. It's Bible belief. Because if we are not following the Bible faithfully, then we are not the Church of Christ. We're just another imitation. We're just another knockoff. It helps us in fluency and teaching. Brothers and sisters, part of the reason why we've never been successful fully at evangelism or why you as a member have never been successful as an evangelist is because you've never exercised your evangelistic muscles. And so you think that's not for me. And I say, yes, it is. The Lord says, even more important, yes, it is. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them what, uh, all things whatsoever I command you. Matthew 28, verse 19. Evangelism is for you. It's a responsibility for you, not just for the preachers, not just for the elders. It's a church-wide effort. And that's something that Back to the Bible helps us to do. What does this study do for us? One man mentioned that Rob had talked a whole lot in his evangelism workshop about following and chasing rabbits. What Back to the Bible is, is a systematic study. It goes one verse after another so that if a question comes up, one of the things as I, as a Bible teacher, if I'm sitting across the table from them and they say, well, what about the rapture? Or what about the 144,000 in Revelation? What do I do with those? What I've got in front of me is just a pad and a paper or a pad and a pen. And I say, that's an excellent question. And it is. Those are great questions. And yes, we need to be educated on things about what the Bible says about those things. That's a great question. I tell you what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to write that question down and we're going to come back to it at the end of the study. I don't want to treat their question like it's not important. I don't want to treat it like it's it's something that's just going to bother us. But what I do want to do is stay on track 
Because if I chase that rabbit, if I go off and start talking about the 144,000, again, we're never going to get back on. We're never going to finish what's imperative to that person at this time about their salvation, about their heart and their soul. It helps us to establish a foundation for serious Bible study. Folks, if I know that I can know the truth, and I know that that truth is given by God the Father and who is delivered to Jesus the Son to reveal grace and truth to the world, and Jesus, after his resurrection, promised the, the Holy Spirit to come, who filled those apostles on the day of Pentecost so that they could preach accurately the truth of God and how they delivered through the apostles' word and doctrine a summary, a concise uh, 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 canon of Scripture to where I can follow today and know with reliability that this is the word of God just as God gave it to the Son, the Son gave it to the Spirit to give to the apostles, to give to the saints, and I can trust that the words of God are here in this book, then that's a great faith-building thing. And that's a great foundation to build your Bible study and your life on. And it helps us to keep our focus on the word. Folks, please understand, I'm not saying these things this morning of my own volition. It's not my word against your word. What we're doing is we're just turning to passage after passage after passage after passage, and we're letting the word of God speak. That's the difference between a discussion to where you say something about the Bible and I say something about the Bible, and you say something about the Bible and I'll say something uh, that I think the Bible says otherwise. Instead, it's just going and letting the Bible speak for itself. The more you and I can get out of the way in Bible study, and a lot of times I don't even offer commentary on any one of these verses. I will this morning just so that we can all understand and have a good picture of what they do, but I'm not going to say anything extra other than Jesus said, you shall know the blank and the blank shall set you free. What goes in the blank? Truth. I want the emphasis to be on truth, not on what Andy says. Well, Andy, that preacher from the Church of Christ, that's what he said. I want them to look in their Bible and I want them to read the words of Jesus and I want to interact with this because this is what's going to change their life and their heart. You ready? Let's get going. Back to the Bible. In your Evangelism Simplified book, you find this chart on page 66. And this was the first six pages of your Back to the Bible uh, there that we looked at last week. By the way, one more thing. <laughs> feel like just an announcement machine this morning. We don't need to do announcements at the end because I'm giving them all right now. Next week, the world celebrates as Easter Sunday. There's a lot of religious people that are going to be looking for a place to attend next Sunday. May I encourage you, use this as an opportunity to invite them to come to Graber Road next Sunday. We're going to take a break next week from the Back to the Bible. I will get, deliver a sermon on Sunday morning that's very we can call it seeker-friendly. But there's a lot of people that are looking for a place to worship because they've been out of practice, and we want to encourage them that if you're going to go someplace, come with me. Come and see was given a number of times there in the first couple of chapters of John. They wanted somebody to go and show them Jesus. You have an opportunity to bring them here with you. Invite them out to eat after it's over. Invite them over to your house after it's over and get an opportunity that you can prospect somebody and help them to understand more of who Jesus is. That being said, let's jump into our study. Should be on page five, page six. We must not add to or take away from the word of God. Deuteronomy chapter four and verse two. We're all going to turn there and we're all going to look in the Old Testament. Remember, there's five books in the Old Testament at the very beginning. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. That's the one we're after, Deuteronomy. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2. 
All right, Jim, it's your turn to read through this. Jim's going to read, you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Here's the question that he's going to ask. Would it please God if we add to or deleted anything from his word? And the answer is obviously from the scripture, what? No, it wouldn't. You just write N-O right there in the blank. All right, now we're going to go back over to the New Testament. Again, one of those little bitty skinny epistles right there in the middle of your New Testament. The book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9. Paul, in writing to those Christians, comes out swinging, as we mentioned last week. He says, but though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel that, uh, unto you than which you have, we preach to you, let him be accursed. The question he asks is, will we be accursed? Will we be separated? The strongest curse that he had to, to offer there, will we be accursed if we add to or take away from the Bible? The answer is yes. All right, now we're back to the Old Testament. You see how flipping back and forth, back and forth, back and forth is going to help us familiarize ourselves with the Bible. We're going back to the third book of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, gives us one of the only stories, narrative accounts, in the book of, uh, in the book of Leviticus, there's two accounts, one of which was a man that, that uh, profaned the Lord, that blasphemed the Lord, and, and he was uh, doing something, and, and they ended up saying, well, what do we do with this guy? The other account was just after the sacrificial system started, Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Then Nadab and Abihu, these are the princes or the sons of Aaron, the priests, each took his censer and put fire in it and put incense on it and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not, circle this in your Bible, which he had not commanded them. Fire came out from the Lord and consumed them. It killed them. They died before the Lord. These men offered strange fire before the Lord, which he what? What goes in the blank? Did not command them. Had not commanded. Did they change what God had said? They put fire in it. They put sensor, uh, fire in their censer. Did they change what God said? The answer is yes. You read on in the context, was God pleased with what they did? God was not. Fire came out from uh, the, before the Lord and it consumed them. So the question is, what's the principle? Here's the question about the principle. Must we be careful how we handle the word of God? God tells us something. Was God pleased with Nadab and Abihu? He was not. Will God be pleased with us if we are not attentive to what he says about his word? Yes, we must be careful how we handle the word of God. Next question, all the way from the very beginning of your Bible all the way almost to the end. If you get to the book of Revelation, you've gone too far. You back up from Revelation a couple of pages, you will be at the book of 2 John. The book of 2 John. Love to hear those Bible pages turning. Second John 9. John says, the Holy Spirit through John says, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. That is a, that is a strong statement. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Simple question. If we don't abide in the doctrine of Christ, is God pleased? 
He's not. Here's a follow-up. Do you, as an individual, want to please God? Hopefully, the answer to that question is yes. Any honest soul that wants to be right with God is going to say yes. Flip back to the very beginning of your Bible, or the, excuse me, beginning of your New Testament. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 9. Jesus talking about the attitude of the scribes, the Pharisees, and looking at their lives and looking at their fruit. Jesus quotes from the prophet Isaiah on this context, and he says, but in vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the, circle it, commandments of men. God is speaking through Isaiah saying, here's these people who are offering me something, who are saying they're honoring me. He says, but their hearts are really far from me. Why? Because they're worshiping in me in vain, teaching as teachings that men ought to follow, doctrines, the commandments of men. Their worship to God was unacceptable because they taught as doctrines what goes in the blank, the commandments of men. The commandments of men. You see the contrast in the picture we're painting. This is what's called a systematic theology. We're taking everything that it says about the commandments of God, about listening to God, about following God, and we're looking holistically, what does the Bible say as a whole about this, and we're putting together our theology, our, our methodology about how we look at God and how we look at his word. Book of Matthew, just a couple pages earlier from where you just were. The conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount Jesus says, Matthew 7 and verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does, circle it, the will of my Father in heaven. So the question simply is this, who's going to be the one who's going to go to heaven? Somebody that just says, Lord, Lord, I hear you, I acknowledge you, I'm, I'm paying attention to you, or somebody who is actually a doer of the word and one who's doing the Father's will? Simple question, do you, person, study, individual, Christian, do you want to go to heaven? Hopefully the answer for you is this, yes. Next question. We're back to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We've already turned to this one twice before by my count. This is the third time. And know all the theology and all the things that Hebrews chapter two, 1, verses 1 and 2 has to teach us. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by who? By the prophets. Has in these last days spoken to us by who? By his son. Formerly, God gave his commandments to who? Or to the fathers by who? By the prophets. He had uh, Elijah and he had Elisha. He had uh, the unnamed prophets. They had um, all the ones that you have at the end of your Old Testament, the, uh, the 17 different prophets. But God today has spoken to us through who? His son. Exactly right. Very good. You're tracking. Keep tracking. Matthew 28, verse 18. We just left the book of Matthew. should be relatively easy to go back to and find it again. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Once again, folks, this doesn't take a doctoral degree to be able to do. It takes a competency with your Bible to be able to turn to the pages, to be able to read, and to be able to write down the answers to the question. Jesus said, Matthew 28, verse 18, he came and spoke to them saying, how much authority? Circle it. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. How much authority is given to Jesus? All. How much is all? 
All is all, exactly right. All authority Jesus has. And so, based upon that, look back at John 12, verses 48. We're going forward in our gospel accounts, the very last gospel account that we have in our Bibles, John chapter 12, verse 48. This is Jesus speaking here. He says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word which I've spoken will judge him in the last day. If Jesus has all authority, whose words are we going to be judged by at the last day? It's the words of Jesus. Very good. Very good. Stay in the book of John. Go back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 17. We're taking the importance of the words of Jesus. Now we're going to start drawing a contrast between what Jesus said and what Moses said, the old law and the new law. John 1, verse 17. John, as he's introducing his book, says, For the law was given by, circle it, Moses, but grace and truth came through, circle it, Jesus Christ. That circle on the through should be through Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, I got moved in, in formatting, I guess. The law was given by who? Moses, grace and truth came through who? There's no trick questions. There's no trick questions. You see it? It's all right there in black and white or in red, depending on your translation, and you have it there in your Bible. Grace and truth came by Jesus. Back to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 to 17. All right, Jim, I think it's my turn to read, so I'm going to read Hebrews 9, verses 15 to 17. And for this reason, he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant by means of, circle it, death. For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Question, is Jesus the mediator of the New Testament or New Covenant? The answer is yes. When did the New Testament go into effect? It happened at his death. You have a last will and testament. When does that go into effect? Not while a person's living usually, but that last will and testament goes into effect after their death. That's the point Hebrews chapter 9 is making about Jesus and his death and making atonement for us at one And that's exactly where we're going in the next several verses. When did the New Testament go into effect? At his death. So, let's stay in the book of Hebrews. Flip back a page to Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Once again, the Hebrews writer says, Jim, it's your turn to read. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second Simple question that the text answers. Please, sometimes people can get a little overwhelmed just because we're not used to language like this. But here's the question. Is Jesus a mediator of a better covenant? Yes, based upon what Hebrews 8, verses 6 and 7 says. So if that first covenant, the Old Testament, had been faultless, would God given us the uh, reason or given us the second covenant or the New Testament? No, he wouldn't. If the old covenant was able to save men from their sins, if it was able to provide uh, atonement and forgiveness, God would have never had to send Jesus to die for us. 
So, verse 8, because finding fault with them, he says, because finding fault, in that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now, what's becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish. So, when God gave the new covenant, did he make the first one, the old, no longer in force? The answer is yes. Jesus said at his death, or what happened at his death, was that all of the Old Testament is no longer in force, and now we're under the new covenant. We're responsible to everything that he said and everything he taught that's established by his blood. All right? Let's go to the book of Acts and see this illustrated. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, that is, this man, Jesus. And through him, or by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things for which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So the question is, can we be justified? Can we be made righteous by the law of Moses? The answer clearly is no. If you've got your Evangelism Simplified book, or if you're needing some extra help with this, uh, you may write down the cross-reference or the, the chart uh, reference of page 67, chart number 3. Page 67, chart number 3. So I'm sitting in a study, and somebody says, I want to know a little bit more about that. What's the difference between the old law and the new law? On page 67, you've got a contrast between Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament was for Jews only. The New Testament's for all nations. The Old Testament, Moses was the mediator. The New Testament, Christ is the mediator. The Old Testament, it was a shadow. It wasn't complete. In the New Testament, it's the substance. The Old Testament uh, centered on animal sacrifice. The New Testament centers on Christ's sacrifice. There's 20, at least 20 reasons that you can go through, and each one of them is justified via Scripture. That you can open up and if somebody says, I want to know just a little bit more about that. Show me how it is that the Old Testament is different from the new law. Here it is on page 67, chart number 3. So that's something that you can have in your toolbox. That's something that you can put there to help you to, to be able to effectively teach somebody. Write that down and uh, put that there in your teacher's copy of Back to the Bible. Moving along, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Paul making this argument about Jesus being able to justify us and not having to hold on to elements of the old law. Paul says, yet the law, that is the law of Moses, is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Listen, you want to keep the old law, you're obligated to keep everything in the law. If you keep everything but you stumble in just one point, you know what you've done? You're guilty of everything. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. So, look at the very first introduction of what we got here. Is the law of faith, is the law of Moses? It's not. But did Christ redeem us from the curse of the law? That is, that if we're obligated or we're trying to keep it, we've got to keep the whole thing flawlessly, sinlessly. Otherwise, we're condemned, just like the rest of uh, the people that can't keep it all the way. So, did Christ redeem us from that? And the answer is yes, absolutely. Stay in the epistles, the small epistles that are right there in the middle of your New Testament, Colossians 2 verse 14. This is a very, very important verse. Colossians 2 and verse 14. If 
Jesus, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he's taken it out of the way, circle this, having nailed it to the cross. Asked in the old King James, please don't be confused by the wording, was the bond written in ordinances abolished? Or when was it? It was when Jesus was nailed to the cross. Now, look up just for a second. Here's a great place to ask this question. Are we under the Ten Commandments today? Are we under the Ten Commandments today? Why not? Because what we just learned here in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 is the handwriting requirements. The old law was nailed to the cross, and that was part of what happened whenever Jesus died, was he took away the effect of the force of that old covenant, of which the Ten Commandments there in Exodus chapter 20 was front and center. Those things that those Jews held on to because they were particularly Jewish, because they were God's chosen people, those things were nailed to the cross. Now, the question is, are the principles of the Old Testament or of the old law of the Ten Commandments repeated in the New Testament, under the New Covenant? Do I still have a responsibility to not have any other gods before him or make graven images or, or uh, eat things that are sacrificed or, or not take the name of the Lord in vain or honor the father and mother or not kill and not steal, not uh, commit adultery? And the answer is yes. But I keep those things because they're part of the law of Christ, not because they're part of the Old Testament, because they're the, you know, written on tablets of stone and put them outside the courthouse. Those things, those law, that law is no longer in effect. A lot of people don't realize that, and a lot of people don't know that. We're holding on to the New Testament, to the New Covenant, and that's the point that he's making. Stay there in your epistles. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 15. You're probably already there while I was talking. Ephesians 2 verse 15. A parallel verse to what we just looked at from Colossians 2, verse 14. Having abolished in his flesh, that is Jesus, the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, to, so to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Question, from the verse, what did Jesus abolish in his flesh? The law of commandments, the Old Testament. He did that. He kept it perfectly, and he was the one qualified to say, out with the old, and with the new. Very good. Almost there. Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. What then was the purpose for the old law? Why didn't God just send Jesus first? Why didn't it just happen that uh, after man sinned in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, that God just immediately sent a Savior to be able to redeem mankind? What was the purpose? Galatians 3, verses 23 through 25. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, the law of Moses. Kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. Read, we're no longer under the law. The whole time under the Old Testament system, as God is working his purpose through bringing a covenant people and then through bringing a Messiah, the Old Testament people should have looked and said, man, I can't wait for the time that we have one sacrifice for all. It was designed to lead them along and to point to Jesus as the Messiah. And so the question is, now that faith has come, are we under the law? Simply, no, we're not. We're not. Romans 7 and verse 4. Paul, in making an argument about not being under the law of Moses, not being able to be justified by the law of Moses. Romans chapter 7 and verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law. 
through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Paul says you've also become what to the law? The word is dead to the law through the body of Christ. Very logically, very simply, moving rapidly along, stay in the same context, Romans 7 verse 6. But now we've been delivered, circle it, from the law, having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Paul says we are, what's the word you circled? Delivered from the law. Is the New Testament law spiritually binding today? Is every man accountable to the New Testament because the old has passed away? Nod your head like this. That's exactly right. All right, here's where we've gone. You can go ahead and put that up if you'd like. Here's the chart there on page, uh, does it have the page? Oh, it's page 66, I believe. This page right before the one we just looked at. Map of Revelation. Green book, Nicole. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus said we can know the truth, John 8, verse 32. That truth is embedded in the character of God. It begins, it originates with God the Father and what he chooses to reveal to us. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says God cannot lie. In fact, it's impossible for God to lie. God delivered that truth through his son, Jesus Christ, who came full of grace and truth. John 1 verse 14, John 1 verse 17. And Jesus, as he lived here, he was the living embodiment of who God is. That is truth. He revealed the truth to the people. And as they heard him, they heard the voice of God, literally. And Jesus, after he was crucified and after he ascended, he promised that truth was going to be given through the Holy Spirit, John 14, John 15, John 16. And the spirit of truth would come and teach the apostles everything that Jesus talked about. That truth was fully realized in the baptism of the Holy Spirit there in Acts chapter 2, where the apostles on the day of Pentecost stood and preached the very first gospel message about Jesus. And as the people there at the end of Acts chapter 2 accepted the gospel message and were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Who was who else's doctrine? It was the Holy Spirit's doctrine, which was Jesus' doctrine, which was God's doctrine, which was truth. As they continued in that truth and they began to go out and teach all the world, the apostles began to write and the inspired teachers began to write and put those things down. And so at the end of the first century, at the beginning of the second century, they had the collection of truth that would be compiled and canonized and put into a single book to tell us what God wants us to do and tell us how God wants us to live. And the difference between, in your Bible, that division between Malachi and Matthew is that everything that comes after that is what's spiritually binding for us today. Yes, we hold on to the Old Testament because through the faith and comfort of the Scriptures, it's able to give us hope, Romans 15, verse 14. But brothers and sisters, we're following the pages of the New Testament, Matthew through Revelation, because that's the law that we're under today, and that's the responsibility that we have to be Faithful Christians, it tells us how to do that. You see how you can do it. We're holding on to it. And as we're holding on to it, we've learned all of this from the green book. Teaching from Jesus from God. Jesus received all authority. We're going to be judged by the teaching of Jesus. And the apostles were inspired by the Holy Spirit in which they taught and what they wrote. And the summary is back there at the very end of your uh, green book. The inspired word of God is our only guide in religion. We must not add to or take away from God's word. And the New Testament is the law for which we're under and by which we will be judged. You see what you've done in the green book. You've given an emphasis and an opportunity to solidify your faith, but also a good foundation for your study so that they can learn to build only on God's word and what he's revealed.
Brothers and sisters, I hope this has been encouraging for you in faith building. You can do this. If I can leave you with one message, you can do this. I promise you, you can. Find a friend, a coworker, a family member, somebody that's struggling. Build that relationship with them. Interest yourselves, uh, bring up a, an interest of spiritual things and help them to understand. You may be the person that God's put in their life to be able to help to teach them the gospel. You may be the only thing that separates them from an eternity in hell. If there's any encouragement that we can give you this morning as God's people, if maybe as a Christian you're struggling with your Christian life, we want you to know you're not alone. We want you to know we stand with you and we we're here to encourage you and help you. We're going to offer that at this time. Maybe there's somebody who realizes the truth of Jesus and the need for obedience to the gospel. If you're ready to do that or if you'd like to study more about that, we'd love to be able to help you. Let's stand and sing our invitation song.